So I'm sitting in a car in Maine, a place I didn't expect I would ever return to. The last time I was in Maine was 25 years ago, when I was preaching at a church in Kennebunkport. And I didn't think they'd invite me back, and I didn't think I'd have a reason to come back, but it turns out that my new daughter-in-law, I mean, she's newly my daughter-in-law. She's not new. She's 30. But my new daughter-in-law grew up in Maine. And over the last five years, she's been to all my childhood haunts, all Marty's, all Roman's, obviously, Miranda's. She's been around our world. And, And this summer, she said, hey, could we do a vacation where we all come to Maine, where I spent summers with my grandmother? And so here we are. And there is a thing about places and people that you really do get to know people differently when you're in their places. I always think that if I can spend five minutes in a person's home, I will find out more about them. I will have a better feel for them than a hundred years of coffee dates. Maybe not a hundred years. That's a lot of coffee dates, but... When I was a youth worker, I would want to do that. As a counselor, I'm frustrated that I don't get to do that. My son-in-law is a teacher, and he's, he often delivers stuff to his kids because he's a, he's a kind of a, an intervention specialist, so he has the opportunity to do that. And he says it is always revelatory. It is always helpful in contextualizing that person and understanding them and having compassion for them. I would really encourage you in your friendships. If you, if you haven't been in the home space of somebody or if you have an opportunity to see where they went to elementary school, I can't tell you how much place and understanding go together. So here I am in Maine. And, you know, it's not my jam. I don't see myself becoming a Mainer. But... It's cool to be in a space that is such a huge chunk of a person that my son loves, that I love, that my whole family loves so much. And so we're doing that thing. And of course, we got my we got little children here. We got a three and a half year old and a and a, and a two and a half month old. And you know, wherever you are with them, they are their own universe and. If you're in that orbit, you're fine. So, yeah, so that's what's going on. And that's why I sound a little bit weird as I introduce this next podcast, which maybe sounding weird is okay because this was not my usual podcast conversation. And it took me a while to figure out how to do it. There was one moment in the middle of it that I was just like, stop, We we have to go a whole different direction. But eventually... As I was talking to my, my, my guest, Logan, the game designer, who I had come to meet through another friend, and it was just a unique opportunity to, to get into a world that, again, I have not been in very much. I haven't spent a lot of time playing Dungeons & Dragons. As a matter of fact, 
I would say that as a teenager, I was adamantly put off by the Dungeons and Dragons concept for all sorts of religious and cool teenager reasons. And I now, especially after talking to Logan, regret that. And this conversation was different and it took me in a different direction. But I will tell you this, this is the thing, the reason why I think it's so meaningful is I, I often, people often accuse me of falling in love with every guest and getting, getting behind whatever they're saying too much. And I, I'm not a confrontational guy in a podcast interview. If you're on my podcast, I'm not, I'm not going to go after you. But even though I often groove with people and connect with their ideas, I don't always come away from a conversation thinking, I want to do something different. But I'm genuinely committed to heading up to my local comic book store on a Tuesday night and getting into a Dungeons and Dragons game because I want to see what it's like to be playing that way playing in a way I've never played, playing in a way that Logan explained to me and made sort of come alive for me. I, I want to do it. And, and so this is the conversation that got me there. And I hope you like it. And I'll be back with my normal microphone next time, back in my normal space. And maybe that's good and maybe that's bad, but that's what's going to happen because I tend to return to the mean. But for now, I'm in Maine. And I hope you dig this conversation. And I promise you that when I follow through and play the game, I'll let you know all about it. Because I think it might be a new way to connect. And I'm always looking for new ways to connect. And in particular, I'm always looking for ways to connect that will work for people that are not natural connectors. So here we go. Without any further ado, this is me being schooled on gaming by award-winning, I want to point out, award-winning game designer, Logan Dean. The first thing I want to say to you is congratulations. Thank you. Because you are nominated for two Annie Awards. That's true. Yeah. Uh, best adventure and best free product. Um, and then there's a third uh, fan award for best publisher, our favorite publisher. A fan award for favorite publisher. Oh, because like that, it's almost like a producer credit sort of thing. Yeah, like you're yeah. the guy that publishes these games. Yeah, because I run a I run an independent publishing company called Megacorp Games. Um, yeah, which is how I put my own stuff out. So that's. Uh, I nominated myself for that award. It's not like I got, you know, like it's not like a prestigious thing that someone was like, this guy deserves it. No, you can just nominate yourself, but I am up for it. Thanks to my efforts. Yeah. If you win it, you should definitely thank yourself. Absolutely. 100%. I mean, I'm going to thank myself all the way down. So this will be the first time I'm going in a capacity for my career, like my actual job, which is I'm the logistics coordinator and business development manager for a company called Sinai and Happiness. Um, and we make card games that you can buy at like Target and Barnes Noble and Walmart. Uh, we make a card game called Joking Hazard. Uh, we make a game called Trial by Trolley. And then we're about to put out a game called Master Dater. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's kind of your lucrative day gig. Yeah, and that's then, what I do for, for money. 
And then your publishing house is that's your passion project sort of thing. Yeah, I um, I got into making games uh, in late 2018. Um, I was working at the Art Institute of Chicago. I had worked at the Art Institute of Chicago for 11 years and um, was in a capacity that I wasn't enjoying. I loved being at the museum. I love art and I love art history. Like it's an incredible place. It's probably my favorite place in the city of Chicago. Um, but I was not happy with my job. So I started writing a game called The Company, uh, which is about corporate survival horror. Um, so what you got to recognize is that I don't know very much about games, but I'm really interested. I'm pretty sure that playing is about as basic a part of being a human being as there is. I'd agree. Maybe of just being a mammal. Yeah. You know, cause monkeys play and whales play and dolphins play, that there's something about playing that's a part of our development and a part of our social apparatus. And so I'm really interested in this playing thing. And I don't know very many people that think about playing very much. But every time I've talked to a game designer, they have thought about playing. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to explain to me the kind of play that you know about. Mm -hmm. But before I do that, I'm sort of wondering how you got interested in play. How you got interested in games in the very first place? Like where did you grow up? Uh so I grew up in Bay City, Michigan. Not a lot to do in Bay City, Michigan. Uh in elementary school I got really into Pokemon cards just like everybody my age because it was in 1996 it, 7 it was like the biggest thing in the world um and later I got into Magic the Gathering I'm still into Magic the Gathering I love I love trading card games I think they're a lot of fun um and that would help me you know interact with people I wouldn't normally interact with so I would go to like boys and girls clubs and I'd have these cards and we'd just play these trading card games and I was never a sporty kid um I was an indoor kid I watched a lot of like In Search Of and I read a lot of fiction. So this is you sort of, you, you start out like Pokemon's an entry level card game. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still a very good card, card game and it's very popular still. Is Pokemon a role player game? Uh, technically. Because your nomination, your nomination is for best role playing game, RPG. Yeah. It's for a role playing game adventure that I wrote. Um, uh, yeah, it, it it is in the video game. The video game puts you in the in in a role uh, that you have to play through, which is the, the kind of the the basic under like definition of role playing, which is you're embodying another role and playing through what that character would do. Most video games um, in which you do not play yourself are technically role playing games. Um, okay, I mean you could even venture that improv comedy is a type of role playing game. Uh, because you're playing different roles and most improv is based off of game and play. As somebody who's around a three and a half year old all the time these days, little kids take on role playing almost as soon as they figure out language. Sure. I mean, you know, we're just pretending all day long. Like I'm a, I'm a king, I'm a dragon, I'm a princess, I'm a little girl. Like my, my, my granddaughter and I, she just wants to go back and forth on that stuff. And so, so these card games, like it sounds like Pokemon was a little bit of a role-playing game. Do you think it's a certain kind of personality that you are 
that that when you got the role of being the game master, you were like, oh yeah, yeah, this is me. I think what happened. I have a. I I love to tell stories. I'm a big storyteller, and I wasn't. I didn't know that about myself at the time, because uh, I, mm. I was like 11, 12 years old, and I knew I liked reading stories, but I didn't have a vehicle to tell stories yet. And running role playing games and making up adventures for my friends to go on and participate in became that vehicle for me to tell stories, and it helped me discover my love of writing um, that I, I still have to this day. So I think in a sense, yes, like I was naturally inclined to be in that position. Uh, yeah. But it was a lot of like very deft moves by the universe to like get me right there at that exact time. Yeah. And it's not, and it wasn't so much about like, I like telling other people what to do. It's that I like telling a story and this is the role in which I tell a story to all my friends and, and they get to be part of the story, but I'm still telling the story. Yeah. I, especially early on comic books were kind of more my thing than gaming, but that's mostly because comic books were more mainstream at that point. Like there was more, um, there's more access to them than there was Dungeons and Dragons books. Cause I had to go to like B Dalton at the mall to buy Dungeons and Dragons books or like Barnes and Noble in Saginaw, Michigan to buy Dungeons and Dragons books. There was stigma on Dungeons and Dragons kids at my high school. It's funny because I some of my friends now were those kids then, and when, one of them, a guy from high school, I sort of was apologizing to him for being kind of so dismissive of it, and I wasn't mean. I was just like, "Why would you want to waste your time like sitting around doing that?" And so I, I was sort of apologizing for being so dismissive. He says, "Oh no," he said, "We felt sorry for you." Like, like we liked you, but like you were, you know, and he said, look at you, you're Mr. Storyteller. You're Mr. You, you love imagination. You love, you, you know, he's like, this was this thing we were doing and it was so cool. And you would have loved it if you would have given it a chance and you just didn't give it a chance because it looked weird to you. Right. Did, did, did people stigmatize it for you too? I, yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't as mainstream as it has become now um and but we weren't also i wasn't in school during like the height of the satanic panic or anything so like i never felt like i was like being cast aside for the things i liked mostly because they made me interesting so you know what's funny everybody would understand an educator who said listen we know not all these kids are going to be artists, but everybody needs to have art class. We're going to like the, some basic level of art education just so that they can appreciate it and understand it and see if they might like it, you know, and physical education. Look, it's not that everybody needs to be an athlete, but like, you know, working out, that's part of life. And we want everybody to move their body and all that stuff. Uh, even reading novels, people would say like, you know, it's a part of being human. Do you feel like looking back at your life or just thinking about the people that are around you? Do you feel like people are like, hey, storytelling and gameplay. This would just be a good thing. Like everybody doesn't have to do it forever, but like there ought to be a unit in school where like everybody gets a chance to try this out. See, I think, I think that, you know, especially where I was growing up, like when we were doing, I did a lot of uh, drama and acting in high school. Um, and we would play games 
like there would there would be games mm-hmm. there like i don't oh drama games yeah like improv games uh exercises we would do stuff like that and i don't know if anybody i don't know if people like kids would benefit from playing you know dungeons and dragons in high school i think you know people should try it but i don't know if it would benefit like having a unit around it um we did some light role playing in uh one of my um English classes around our Jonathan Swift kind of education, like around the Canterbury Tales, uh, where we would each take a tale and then have to write in a modern type of voice about that uh, that character, which I found was like kind of the closest thing to role playing that I did in high school. I did that. We did something where we where we had the Constitutional Convention, and we all had to study somebody who was at the Constitutional Convention, and then we would play that part and we would just talk but like we had to talk from the perspective of our player sure yeah yeah and so there's this game that you're nominated for escape from what's it called it's called extraction from demon fucked cleveland 1996 that's right and it is at first i thought it was like an an escape from new york knockoff it is 100 percent an escape from new york knockoff uh, one of the greatest movies i've ever seen i can't i steal from the best and john carpenter is on top of the the list every time no one can beat Carpenter. Give me the premise of the game. Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it's what's known as a, like a one shot game where you're able to play it in one session. Um, so it's not for like campaign play, which would be, you know, multiple sessions over a longer period of time. An adventure that you can pick up and read and use what you want and leave what you don't. And, you know, there's ideas. It's more of a story seed. Could 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 me and my wife and my two kids could we pick it up and figure it out or like, no, man, you need to know something about gaming before you can, you can't just pick this up. And I think it you out. could. I mean, it's, it's, it's presented in a way that's very linear. Uh, it's a story. So, you know, it's meant to be played in like one session. Uh, you just have to figure out a way to resolve uh, outcomes. So like the easiest way to resolve an outcome in most games is to roll dice, but you know, you could use cards. Okay. So what I'm wondering is, is as, as people are playing that game or as you're, as you're imagining them playing that game or your corporate thriller game for that matter, because like that was a big game too, right? Yeah. Lots of people play that game. Uh, yeah. It's got like 15,000 downloads. How do you think the inner, like you get done playing it and every, and it's over. And I don't know if anybody's really won or if you're just like, that's how the story went. Right. You know? Your guy got killed. Your guy didn't. You know, the president made it out of Cleveland. Sort of like going to a movie where you're like, oh, that's how that movie ended. Right. When people are done, how have they interact? Like, how do you think that playing the game, what does that facilitate in their relationships with each other? If I did that with a girlfriend at the end of the date, would I know better if I liked her? See, I think it opens people up to... uh, express themselves in ways they wouldn't normally express themselves in a conversation. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're going to learn more about how people react to situations that they wouldn't normally be in. And you can see how they would work through those processes. Uh, I've been playing a game with a group of friends now for about eight years. And I think that we started playing board games together and that turned into playing Dungeons and Dragons together. And I think I've learned more about those guys playing Dungeons and Dragons for 
the last seven or eight years than I did in the previous five years we were playing board games together, just because we are now connecting on a level that is imaginative and we're creating a world together. And so I think that what you can learn from, and I think you can learn this from play with a lot of people. Cause I think play is like you said, it's a very basic, uh, skill that we all develop very early on that we kind of lose track of uh a lot of people don't play in their adult lives um which i think is becoming less the case especially with like people growing up with video games and the internet um we're getting more and more in touch with you know this this childlike idea of play that we use to kind of escape every day um but playing with each other is something that I think we kind of lose touch with as we become adults and stuff like Dungeons and Dragons, stuff like role playing games that you can sit at a table and all agree to play. This is why I think board games are very popular right now with adults is because it gives them a reason to be social with each other without having the pretense of conversation or, um, you know, politics or uh, like anything that like might be hanging over their heads. Like they don't have to talk about the weather. They don't have to talk about like what's going on in the world. They don't have to talk about their jobs. They can just sit and play a game and enjoy each other's company through play. One, one group of people that I don't think play role player games very often together are parents and children, even adult parents and children. I like, I have a feeling that, you know, people play Dungeons and Dragons, even if their parents play Dungeons and Dragons, they play it with their friends and the kids play it with their friends. Like, and you know, and I, I remember the first time I used marijuana and I told my, you know, I was like 45 years old and I told my kids like, I finally use marijuana. And they were like, oh, that's great. We, we should get high together. And I was like, no, I won't. I, I can't get high <laughs> with you. Like there's something, do you know what I mean? Like, like a, this, a boundary. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I sometimes wonder like, what, what, can you imagine playing a game like this with your parents? No. Uh, but like, I don't think it's, I think it's becoming more, um, common mostly because in the in the generation of dungeons and dragons we're in now which is the fifth edition mm -hmm. um which is everywhere uh it's, it's like it's the most popular the game's ever been um you i i've i've run games for people like with like parents with their children i've run i've seen yeah. parents run games with their children i think it's becoming more common especially since this idea of it being like a nerd thing is starting to kind of like uh, alleviate um, because I, I, I think it's a good way for people to play with each other with, you know, guidelines and you can, you can explore themes and do, you know, teach, use it to teach people like, especially kids, like um, issue, you can teach about issues. You can teach about things that like we might not feel comfortable bringing up in a conversation, uh, but you can couch that. Like what? In, like you mean example. I mean, a good example is like racism and talking to kids about like how people treat each other differently based off of the way they look. Uh, you can catch that in a fantasy way that feels natural without having to have a very, you know, serious conversation and then, you know, do it as a game and then talk about it after the fact and be like, why do you think these people felt that way? Why do you, why do you think people treat people like this in our real world? What would you do in this situation? Like really open it up to conversation instead of it being a lecture or like just, I, I remember growing up and being like, people just being like, this is how people are. It's bad, but we're not going to have a discussion about it. 
And that always struck me as odd. Like I, I had questions that nobody really seemed to want to answer because it was too awkward for them. Mm -hmm. And I, um, yeah, I think you, especially if I think it helps the parents sometimes more than the kids because they need an in to do it because it's awkward for them. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that, when we were talking about the idea that you learn a lot about the way somebody processes life or the way that they move through it, I thought like as a parent, that could be really an interesting way to get to know your kid. But, but I think the other thing is like for your kid to get to see a little bit of how you process things, how, absolutely. you know, how you make a story, how you put things together, what things you take and what things you leave on the table. Um, I, 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 you know, I just think I'm, I'm always interested in that because, you know, in my world, a lot of the conversations about who a person was revolved around beliefs and parents trying to influence their kids' beliefs and kids trying to influence their parents' beliefs. And sometimes those conversations can be pretty deadly and pretty difficult. And I think it, it, it would be really interesting, you know, but I knew a lot of people who knew exactly what their parents believed, but they didn't have very much idea about how they processed information or about how they thought about change or how they, how, how quickly they thought on the fly. Like they, their parents, you know, their parents appear to them as accomplished facts. Like this is, Hi, kid, I'm your dad, and I believe this, and I do this, and this is what we're about, and this is that. And the idea of seeing your parent having to think on their feet around around stuff, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like it, it, there's, that would be a really healthy thing. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I never experienced that. Um, like, I, my, my family was always, full, they came fully formed in my mind. I can't yeah. understand what they were like when they were younger. Because I just don't and, have a frame and, and of reference for it. One of my critiques of board games, like if somebody says like, hey, let's play Risk. Oh, is boy. Like, you know, three hours later, we will have literally killed the time. But I don't feel like I'll know that person any better than I knew them before. Sure. And that's a problem with board games, I think. Yeah. That, that there's, no, there's no emotional content. Or investment. And so all I will... All I tend to find out about people when, I, and families tell me this all the time, like we hate playing board games with Joe because he's so competitive or, she, or Mary loses interest. You know, she just isn't, she's not competitive. So she doesn't see what the point is. And I think the one thing you find out when you play those kind of games is like, who cares about winning? Right. I have this vivid memory of playing. Have you ever played that game? Um, Mafia where you sit in a circle and, yeah. and, and, they give it the cards and, and, and then, and then there's a period of time where they kill the, 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 the secret mafia people kill somebody in the town. And then there's a discussion about who they are. People are like, I, it wasn't me. And I accuse you. And we played that game once with my mom when I was, you know, my kids were like 12 and 13, 12 and 15 years old. And, and we had a whole bunch of people at the house. It was Thanksgiving and we played that game and my mom and dad were in it. And my dad, who's considered to be the kind of the great storyteller, like he just couldn't figure out the imaginative part of it. And, you know, people killed him off just to get him out of the game. But my mom, like 
she's such an innocent, sweet woman. And she won the game. Like she was the killer. And no and she deftly deflected. And it and after it was over, we all sat around and thought, like, oh, that's a side of you. Like your ability to lie and the deviousness which like all of a sudden we could sort of see her as a teenager, you know, playing a guy against another guy, or you know, all of these things that you you hear stories about somebody, but like, we were like, oh, that's still in you. We didn't play very much with my mom. And so we didn't get to see her, and her, th- th- those sides of her personality, and a game, and, and and but a game brought it out instantaneously. Sure, I mean, there's no stakes yeah. with the game, right? It's not, it's 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 temporary. Um, yeah, you don't think about it being a record of how you act as a person because it's not a deposition. It's not like something <laughs> that you're right. like going to be judged against because you're playing. So you've done the, you've, you've taken the improv classes and done that. Yeah. I was, I'm still, you know, involved in all of that around Chicago. Which, you know, it's, it's funny because like I had, um, some friends of mine, Holly Laurent and Greg, oh, sure. you, you know, them through the mega podcast and, um, and, and the improv thing is the other way that I sort of say like, if you've moved to a new place and you don't know anyone, take an improv class. Like it's, uh, once again, you're not going to have to reveal all the stuff about yourself, but about your content, but your process is going to, you, you're going to get to know how people are and how they interact. And a lot of nice people are drawn to improv. That's true. And I guess what I'm wondering is it's like improv gaming. You go like, are a lot of nice people drawn to gaming? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, in general, that's a friendly community. In general, what? Yeah, I mean, they, they're right. You could go to the first Presbyterian church. There's some assholes there <laughs> exactly. too. You could go. You could go to like Habitat for Humanity's like host convention. Like, I'm sure there's some jerks. You know, sure. Like, I mean, yeah, but candy stripers. Day, I've known really mean candy stripers. <laughs> it's a group of people who are getting together to play a game that they're using to, you know, escape. They're not going to bring, for the most part, a lot of their. Um, anxieties and neuroses into that they're going to be nice people who are there to enjoy each other's company while playing a game yeah there is there is a truth to that like you know you could go to the radio control glider convention and if if, if these people are putting enough energy into being into that thing they're they're probably not they're probably going to be nice people right on some level you're not going to find a bunch of people stressed out bowling unless they're in the league yeah the league is a different story though and yeah, you see, I'm I'm really convinced of this that that you know in 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 all the things that I'm trying to unpackage in my sort of, sort of spiritual and emotional life, competitiveness, like winning, beating people, like I was trained that like that's a good thing, that's a very American value to be competitive, like to want to win. But the longer I'm watching kids play. And the more I'm watching adults screw it up by turning it into winners and losers, the more I'm convinced that, again, I would rather have kids in in junior high being taught how to play games where nobody wins than I would have them be taught tennis. Um, and, I, and I don't have anything against tennis, but I'm just saying like, I see a lot of, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I think there's something about this competitiveness that ultimately 
if the way you get good at this game is by beating other people, it may not be the best place to make you, you, you it may not be the most ideal setting to make friends. Sure. I, I'd agree. I mean, I don't think I've ever taken something I learned like playing basketball in gym class and used it to help move a project along. But I take the uh, collaborative nature of, you know, role playing game storytelling into working with small teams into making new products. I take the, the, the skills I learned working with other people in improv into, you know, doing conflict resolution into like helping people uh, get goals achieved. I'm a mentor uh, for other tabletop artists and I help them work on the goals they're trying to achieve. But I don't think I use stuff from playing baseball all that often. But uh, the stuff I learned, you know, collaborating and building things with my friends, that those are skills I use every day. Yeah. As I'm thinking about this, this whole conversation, I'm like, the gaming is really interesting to me. It's really interesting to me. But I know that like you get down in the weeds of the, the of, of stuff and, and people are like, I don't know. But then when you start talking about like, this is how it has worked for me and this is how I relate to people and this is where I, I, I do think there's something there. Um, and, and so like this last part of it's been really interesting to me because I think like you, you don't have to have played an RPG to kind of grasp the difference between what you're doing when you're together playing with your friends, those games, and what a bunch of guys are doing when they're getting together to play golf. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I liken it to like a bunch of people getting together to like raise a barn. Uh, you're doing it not because that's going to maybe have some personal like life changing effect on you, but the action of doing it with, as a group, is going to help you all become better people together. Yeah. And, 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 and ultimately in some ways the barn itself is not the most important product. No. Yeah. Like it's the, yeah. it's the journey. It's like, it's what we did along the way together that made us bond, not this thing that yeah. we created. It's kind of the interpersonal version of like, I, I saw this great uh, study that they did brainwaves of people playing competitive bridge. Okay. Um, and, and, and which is a game that requires in, intense concentration. And what they found, they, they, they were sort of following their brainwaves. And what they found was, is that the sort of the pleasure that they got out of the game and the amount of, like, the amount of satisfaction they got out of the game was not significantly different between those who won the game and those who lost the game. That what it was, was winning and losing, like it was necessary to, to you know, it was the point, but that it was the engagement, it was the flow state that they got into, that that's what they were junkies on. So like, they wouldn't necessarily remember who won or lost the game. They would just remember like, I enjoyed being there. Sure. And it seems like in some sense, like at the, you know, you've played a thousand of these games. I bet you don't really remember this campaign from, you know, 2011, like the specifics of what happened. Or maybe you do. Depends on what campaign it was, but yeah, maybe, uh, I, I was just playing. Really? So some, of, some <laughs> of them are so vivid that you hold on to them. Some of them. Yeah. I mean, like I can, I can remember stuff from that campaign 20 years ago. I mean, just wow. because I, I mean, I wrote it and like, it was so it's kind of like watching a film that sticks with you, but you're, okay. you're in it. So yeah. like there was something that happened in my game last night. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons last night and I had an emotional low and then an immediate emotional high that were so close together that they've now like imprinted in my brain, which is like I was running from 
a minotaur skeleton that had popped out of a hole. And I'm, I'm playing a wizard, so I'm very squishy. I'm easy. I'm easy prey. And it hit me with its axe, and I was almost dead. And then I picked up a, bro- a rock with the highest spell I could, and I just destroyed this thing. And I was, I, was, I was seconds away from being certainly doomed, and I turned it all around on one really good dice roll. And like that's that type of stuff that's like it's like you're saying that flow state that that being engaged with it that is what I'm chasing. I'm not especially when I'm playing. I'm not chasing the end of the story. I'm trying to enjoy my time being there with my friends and like just in, just enjoying like being there. It's not for me. It's not about what we're playing the rules. It's about being able to be with the people I care about and enjoy our time together. Yeah. Sounds sounds like a, an it sounds like a transferable transferable skill. The idea of like I'm not chasing the end of the game. I'm just trying to enjoy being with the people that I'm with. Right. And you're like, hmm. That sounds like sounds like a larger project. You know. <laughs> right. Um, I find myself both inspired to go play a game, le- legit. Like I'm like, yeah. You know what? I'm going to do that for two reasons. One, I'm going to do it because I want to do it. I'm more inspired to go play a game than I am to do an improv thing because i've tried that and i sucked at it um but the other thing is i'm inspired to do it because if it turns out that i meet some nice people there um that will become a tool that i can offer people who are lonely sure and i i know a hell of a lot of lonely people and so um so yeah so i'm, I'm kind of inspired I, I looked through the game enough to know like a i need to go to a library or have somebody explain it to me but b <laughs> It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to create that context in which people can use their imaginations, like to, cre- to in a sense, build the stage upon which that they play out the they play out the story. And so, yeah. Hey, thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk with me. Hey, thanks for having me. To hear an exclusive extra episode every month, please go to Patreon.com/slash/HumanizeMe. You'll also get Bart's monthly newsletter over there and get access to some great Humanize Me merch. Our supporters on Patreon are the ones making this show happen. For more information on Bart, go to bartcampolo.org. Also, if you choose to listen to the podcast on Spotify, we have a listener poll that you can take part in every episode, including this one. So join us on Spotify. Humanize Me is produced by Katie Johnson-Smith, me, John Wright, and Bart Campolo. You could be larger than life So, thanks for doing the credits, John. Now, do you, do you have some of the Patreon supporters to, that we can thank? I sure do, Bart. We need to thank Joel Miller, John Rexroad, Jonathan Hodge, Joseph Krieger, Josh Strider. Stop right there. Okay. Uh-huh. 
it's Joe, it's Joseph Krieger, and it's really Joey Krieger. And Joey Krieger was one of like, like just the most beautiful USC students I ever had as part oh, really? of the Humanist Fellowship there. Okay, yeah. so I should say his name again. No, 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 no. That's it. I, I just want to interrupt you and say I love that. I love that person very much. Beautiful. Um, yeah, but but what's funny is like Joel Joel Miller, is it the first one? Yeah, yeah. Joel Miller is a wonderful, a wonderful follower of Jesus. Hmm. Who writes me notes every now and then and just says, you know what, I I really like what you're doing, and I'm really glad you're doing it. And so beautiful. I just want to say, like, we do not. This is, this is a human humanizing pub, podcast that is supported by a lot of humanizing people, and not all of them are humanists. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Oh, and and you know who Josh Strider is, don't you? Yeah, Josh Phantom Strider. Phantom Strider, baby. You're you're you're, you're my my favorite on the spectrum animation expert slash advocate for people who are differently abled human being in the southern hemisphere you got any more uh you want me to keep going i got a couple more yeah yeah finish the list uh john wolforth julie herrick and let's finish with joshua oxley literally every person you read today is somebody who i have reason to be thrilled by and not just because they're making this podcast go but because they're making the world a better place. So thanks to all of you.